Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer, and welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media. And if you want to hear us speak or come to your organization and talk about workplace wellness, please reach out at contact at workerbeing.com. So today, we are going to be talking about an interesting rationale or reason for why you might experience insomnia after a day of work um, and kind of unpacking something that you might not think of as a cause of insomnia, but that research shows could be. Um, But before we kick into that, I want to know, and I think I know the answer to this, but do you or anyone that's close to you have insomnia? No. Not that I can. I wonder if that's what you thought my answer was going to be. <laughs> it was. Um, I don't think that I have ever heard you talk about having issues with insomnia. But then I was like, you know, no. I don't know. Maybe at some point or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't myself experienced real insomnia. And, you know, just besides like bouts of bad nights, but not mm-hmm. like truly intense insomnia. Um and I don't think anyone in my family is like family is a bunch of good sleepers, to be honest. Like, yeah, everyone sleeps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Except for Danny. Danny doesn't sleep that much. Like he he does uh, go to bed really late. And so and he doesn't wake up that late in the morning. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't call it insomnia. I would just say his like rhythm, his, you know, uh where he kind of thrives is a little bit different than the average person. So yeah, um, he's a night yeah. owl. He's a night. He's like an extreme night owl. Yeah. Like 3am night owl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he stays up very late, but I don't feel like does. it's like, but then he does sleep. Like when he decides to go to sleep, he, he goes to sleep. Yes. Yes. And he's definitely like, he's a good napper. He can definitely sleep a lot. So yeah, um, I think he's good. What about you? Anybody in your family or friends? I definitely don't have any issues with it personally. I for sure um, am a very sound sleeper um, and very like when I lay down and decide to go to sleep, I'm out like and I'm out very fast. I usually don't struggle to sleep at all, but it does run in my family and Brendan has some issues with insomnia. Um, So yeah, like my mom and my brother have trouble sleeping. I take after my dad when it comes to sleeping Um, Both of us are just like head hits the pillow and like we're good. Um, But people in my family have it. And um, it is kind of crazy because uh, if you a lot of times I think I mean, this is this has not been medically diagnosed, but but it will actually come into play with this article, too. Um, It's stress. So when they're more stressed about something, Mm -hmm. they can't like turn their minds off. And then they're like worrying and tossing and turning and having trouble sleeping because they can't stop thinking about the stuff that they're worried about. Um, So Mm -hmm. that if you are worried about something and one of the side effects of, you know, when you're feeling stressed, this happens to you is that when you're going through a stressful period of time, not only are you stressed, but you're running on very little sleep. Yeah. Which in our family, um, you know, can has had some like bad health implications because you know, you're super emotional about whatever you're stressed about anyway. And then on top of it, you're having, you know, you're running on very, very little sleep. So it creates like more kind of like 
I don't know, uh, less control over emotions and like emotional mm-hmm. reactions to things. And that also causes then like more worry because when you're less able to control your emotional reactions to things, then one of those emotional reactions is continuing to be worried. Um, yeah. So there's like kind of a cycle that people get in. So I've seen people in my family kind of get into a cycle of being worried, not sleeping, then that having an impact on their emotions and stress um, and like feeling run down and being upset about feeling run down. And then that continues. So um, I've definitely been um, close to and seen the negative impacts of insomnia, but I'm just, I'm just out for the count as soon as I get started trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like it would exacerbate everything, but I'm glad that you inherited the better sleeping traits. Yes. Uh, Yes. And I'm always, actually, I have to be honest, I'm super impressed with the way you sleep because it does take me a little bit of time to fall asleep. Like, Mm -hmm. I I will toss and turn a bit, and, like, any time that we're sharing a hotel room, you are out, and I'm like, is she really out already? And you are. You are, like, done. It's fast. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I wish I could be that way. (laughs) It's very fast, but the other thing that's um, funny is, like, if I, um, so, like, if I'm at like a doctor's appointment, it doesn't happen a lot, but like a place where like you have to like close your eyes and like, you know, if I am <laughs> like at the dentist or something like that, sometimes I'll find myself falling asleep. And then what happens is they're like trying to talk to you and then you like kind of are keeping up with what they're saying, but sort of not. And then, um, <laughs> then it's like your turn to respond and you're like saying something and you're thinking to yourself, is this response a like coherent and b even related to what is going on and I remember when I was in high school um I was on the phone with one of my friends and um I started falling asleep and I don't know why I thought that he was talking about baseball and out of nowhere he was not talking about baseball at all and all of a sudden I was just like do you even like baseball <laughs> like, and so I feel like I get paranoid that that's going to happen to me in like situations like that because I know I can fall asleep so fast and then like I just say something like completely like non-secular in a situation where I'm not supposed to be sleeping so that does oh I am a little bit gosh. afraid of that <laughs> that's amazing and yes. hilarious and makes me wonder like shavasana and yoga are you asleep like at the end uh, of so, uh, Oh, I totally could. I totally could be. Um, if wow. I, I try, I mean, there are things that I can do to like make myself from going to sleep, but because I do fall asleep so fast, it's like, I don't need that much time. Like the last 10 minutes of that class, like there are definitely have been times where I'm like fighting. Like I, maybe I'm going to go to sleep on the floor. Um, That's for sure. That's do you amazing. ever, it, you never feel like you're going to fall asleep then? No, no, not like at the end of like in a, in a shavasana, like at the end of yoga class. I definitely yeah. like I'm relaxed, but I'm not gonna fall asleep. No, not that fast. But I'm like that's just hilarious. Like you're just of course you're like the most efficient sleeper too. <laughs> like <laughs> efficiency I, is the name of the game for you. <laughs> I really, um, I really am lucky that I'm able to fall asleep, and then I do feel bad because when Brendan can't sleep, then I'm like, you know. I'm just out like he's just like roaming around the house and I'm just like like no clue (laughs) that any of that is happening um but uh what we will learn from this and it's good that we both don't have problems with this but there are it's very common so there are probably a lot of people out there who do suffer from insomnia um 
I thought that this article was interesting for a variety of reasons, but I'm going to make kind of three main points here about insomnia that I want uh, everyone to take away. So the first is that insomnia causes you to perform worse at work the next day. I don't think that that's hugely surprising. The second is that whether or not you spoke up at work during the day can predict whether or not you experience insomnia at night. And the third is that it depends on what you spoke up about or how you did it that actually impacts whether or not you'll experience insomnia. So those are three things that I want to highlight. Yes. Yes. Well, definitely takeaway number one is not surprising. Like, no. you don't sleep. You're not going to do so well the next day. Totally, totally makes sense. I am very curious to learn more, though, about what type of speaking out can be a problem. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about that. So generally, we think that speaking up, sharing our opinions, sharing suggestions that work for ways to improve is a positive thing. And there have been a lot of really positive outcomes associated with speaking up and sharing your opinions. We've written about this before and talked about this before on the podcast around what the research calls voice, which is the ability for you to share um, thoughts or concerns, ways that you might improve things, things that you think you might stop doing. And generally for people, when you voice things, it helps you to feel better in your workplace because you feel like you're able to speak freely. It feels like your opinions matter. So there's a variety of reasons why speaking up at work has positive um, implications for you and also has positive implications for your team because if nobody ever speaks up about things that they're concerned about, you're never going to learn about problems or issues that people are flagging up, right? So for a variety of reasons, it's good for people to speak up. But that's why this study was kind of surprising, which showed that speaking up under certain circumstances could have downsides for your ability to go to sleep. And um, I'll kind of break down that process. So the first thing to know is that there are two ways that you can speak up at work. Okay. One is called promotive and one is called prohibitive. Promotive okay. is a form of speaking up where you basically make a suggestion to add something new, add a new practice to do something in a slightly different way, or you might have an idea that is constructive that helps you to um, propose a new practice that the group should take on or the team should take on in order to um, improve their functioning as a unit or as a team or as an organization. So promotive voice is really all about putting forth some recommendations about things that can be done to make what you're doing even better or coming up with new ideas, coming up with um, solutions for existing or potential issues. So that's promotive voice. Okay. So promotive, it's kind of like what it sounds like, right? Like you're promoting something different, something new. Um, it's a positive thing. Like you're coming into the conversation with like a positive new thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like I have an idea. I have a new uh, suggestion for a new way of doing things, or I have a new process that I like to implement, or I think we should use this new technology. Um, all of those things would be promotive voice. So you're really trying to get your ideas um, heard by the group and your ideas are all about like exciting new things that the group might try. 
Got it. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. So promotive voice, promoting something new, positive, exciting. Yay. Good stuff. Exactly. Prohibitive voice is still trying to make things better in the workplace, but it's doing it by expressing a concern about a current practice or something that happened or a set of behaviors that employees are doing that are harmful to the organization. So it serves to sort of protect the organization, prevent ongoing mistakes, pinpoint where things are going wrong, identify things that are holding the team or the group or the organization back, things that might cause harm. So prohibitive voice is still trying to promote the greater good, but it's more about saying the way we're doing things right now is not good, as opposed to saying, here's a new thing that we can add to what we're doing. Okay. So let me think about like a couple of examples um, and let me know if I'm on on track. So if I'm thinking about like, let's say I'm working with you, Katina, and we're talking about a project. If I come to you with promotive voice, I would say, hey, I actually have a new idea of how you could do this thing. Like, let's say you're working on a a presentation and I say, Katina, I have an idea. What if you did this presentation this way or you um, put in this type of slide? That would be promotive. Mm -hmm. But then prohibitive would be, let's say, the same scenario. I come to you and I'm like, you know, I'm not I think that the way you're presenting this information might create concern on the client's front. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, maybe we should reframe it because this is like might create some, you know, reaction from the client. So yeah. that would be more prohibitive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly, just to build on those examples, if you said, you know, hey, I just found out about this new technology, Canva. It's really cool. I think that, you know, you might benefit from learning it, using it for your slides. That's um, promotive. But if you said, you know, I don't think that using PowerPoint for slides is a good idea anymore, that would be prohibitive. So um, mm-hmm. so it's more of a stop doing what you're doing. And the other is uh, here's a way to make what you're doing better. Got it. Okay. Um, that in and of itself has just made me think like, is there a way to make your, well, we'll talk about it later, but like, is there a way to sometimes frame things differently? The same feedback to make it more promotive. Cause it sounds like (laughs) I don't want to spoil the end, but I'm guessing prohibitive being a negative sounding thing is probably not good. (laughs) Yes, you're correct. Um, and, and like I mentioned before, promotive and prohibitive voice have positive impacts under certain circumstances and teams. So like there is a time when you can say like, hey, you know, this is not working and we need to stop doing that. Like, it's not that it always has bad outcomes, but in this instance, um, it has specific bad outcomes for people who um, are voicing because when you voice something promotively, at the end of the workday, you feel positive emotions. So you're like, oh, I shared a good idea. I made a suggestion and that makes me feel happy. But when you share... Um, you know, a criticism, and this would be a constructive criticism. We're not talking about um, like abusive behavior just for people like listening to make the distinction. We're not saying people that are like, you're horrible and this is bad and you're doing a bad job. It's it's still a suggestion for um, stopping doing something that's not becoming like attacking. But even so, when you're saying, you know, I don't think that we should do it this way anymore, people get more worried and concerned about that because, um, you know, you're sort of providing feedback that 
something that's happening might not be going as well as it might, and you're not sure how other people are going to respond to that or if they're going to take it the wrong way or whatever. So when you um, show prohibitive voice, that makes you feel more negative emotions. So promotive voice, you feel more positive emotions. Yay, I was helpful. I made a good suggestion. Prohibitive voice, more negative emotions. I'm concerned that my team members might think I'm a jerk now that I brought that up. Um, and when you feel more negative emotions at the end of the day, it's harder for you to detach from work. So what mm. they found was that you keep kind of replaying this scene in your head where you gave this person this feedback or this, your team this feedback, and you keep wondering whether or not that was the right move. And so it's harder for you to get out of your head and out of work mode because you're still worried about what happened at work. Whereas when you have more positive emotions at the end of the day, you're more likely to be able to detach from your work and move on to other things. So that's kind of the building block that leads to insomnia when you're unable to detach, now you're tossing and turning at night worried about this. Totally. And that makes a lot of sense because you're sitting there thinking, do they take it the wrong way? Is anybody upset with me? Should I have worded it differently so that it's not quite as negative? Um, I could totally see how that would make a huge impact on how you're feeling, whether you are still thinking about that moment or whether you've let it go and moved mm -hmm. on. Um, and we have talked about before that negative emotions, negative things, we tend to focus on a lot more than the positive. So it makes a lot of sense that, you know, if you say something that might be construed as negative, even if it's constructive, even if it's really helpful and valuable, would be something that you might kind of dwell on a bit more. Yeah, exactly. And and I think one thing to point out, too, is that you can do both things in a workday, and people did um, in this study. So you can both make suggestions for new things, and you can say that you should stop doing things. Um, and so it's important to recognize that while um, promotive voice actually has a stronger impact on making you feel positive emotions than prohibitive voice has on making you feel negative emotions. So if you're looking for a positive emotional boost, promotive voice is a good way to do that. But the ability to detach is more strongly impacted by negative affect than positive affect. So like you were saying, um, the impact of the negative emotions at the end of the day is stronger on what happens after work than the positive emotions. So even if you're doing both promotive voice and prohibitive voice during the course of a day, that prohibitive voice is going to beat out the, po the promotive voice and you're still going to have a hard time detaching. They'll counterbalance each other, so it'll cancel out some of those effects, but there will still be a net negative impact on your ability to detach and then your um, insomnia goes up. So I'd love to know like what your thoughts are, what the, maybe the authors talked about in terms of ways to help yourself, um, as the person that would be obviously struggling with insomnia, if you have to share something more critical, like my instinct is like, how can you think about framing it in a more positive way? Maybe coming to problems with solutions already, which can, you know, get you, um, thinking a little bit more positively and not necessarily, you know, going into the constructive phase and like leaving it at that. Um, but I don't know. I'd be curious to see what like you read or what your thoughts are. Yeah. So they have kind of two uh, sets of recommendations. One is that 
people might consider, like you're saying, um, the negative impacts that making these comments might have and thinking about if they might be able to get to the same outcome without using that same strategy. So they did mention a little bit around employees' ability to regulate the way that they make suggestions or speak up at work, um, that that may be one avenue that could help improve this. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, reframing can be useful. So instead of saying, you know, don't do this anymore, is there a way to say, um, you know, this is a way to do things that is new and interesting and without criticizing the other practice. So they do mention that um, reframing could be one way to go. So you're, you're definitely on track there. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. What was the other thing they mentioned? Yeah. So they also mentioned that organizations should change and educate people around their responses to promotive voice, to prohibitive voice. So they basically said that, it is important to be able to like raise mistakes for psychological safety and things of that nature that people should be able to call out when there are errors and be transparent about that or when there are things that are happening that need to stop. But they also suggested that organizations talk to managers about why it's important to raise concerns when things are going wrong and why raising those concerns can help create more effective units and helping managers to role model being more receptive to employees' concerns and criticisms and encouraging other people to do the same thing. So um, they kind of also went in the other direction and said, organizations, yes, employees can monitor the extent to which they're bringing up these uh, complaints and concerns, but under some circumstances, it may be necessary to bring that up. And when that's the case, it would be good if the organization if the employee knew that the organization wasn't going to um, respond negatively. Right. Like there's not always a solution to every problem. And sometimes the problem is just a problem and you need to stop doing that thing. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think also the way that someone responds will impact the f ultimate emotion that you take away from the when you spoke up. So like if you're a leader is like, oh my gosh, that's a great point. Like we definitely need to think about how we can do that differently. Or, you know, they're really like positive. Then you're not, you're going to not second guess as much whether or not you should have said that. Right. Because yes. they've affirmed the fact that what you said was correct or what you said was valuable or meaningful or what have you. So now it's like, well, it's a good thing I brought it up because they had a positive reaction. But if they're kind of pushing back or struggling with what you said, that's when you're going to second guess yourself. Yeah, exactly. Not when someone accepts it. Exactly. So that's why they kind of harped on the idea that, you know, there can be instances where you might think to yourself, it's not even the most effective strategy for me to use constructive criticism, I'd be better off using promotive voice. But if it is something that you really need to point out that would be helpful for the team, um, changing the reactions and letting people know that it's okay and showing that it's okay so that they're not getting these signals, like you're saying that, oh, I said this and now I'm in my head about what I said. Um, something else that they also suggested that I thought was interesting was creating an anonymous reporting mechanism for uh, concerns about um, things that are currently going on, mistakes or errors or things like that. 
They mentioned that that could be helpful because then people wouldn't spend as much time worrying about people's reactions because it wouldn't be traceable back to them. I think there are some challenges with that around, you know, how many of your work products are de-identifiable enough that people wouldn't be able to know who it was or at least narrow it down to a couple people who would have made the suggestion. But I think generally the idea is one that could work. Yeah, it's a good idea. I think the problem that most organizations of a certain size face, though, is who's monitoring that. Right. Um, I feel like I run into that many times with a lot of different things. It's like, we want to have this great open-ended question here where people can anonymously say XYZ, and then no one looks at it for like months. Right. So then you might actually fall into a situation where someone says something that is concerning that needs to be addressed quickly, and then they're actually ruminating on it because they're not sure if it's going to be addressed. Right. So it could create more problems. But I think if monitored effectively, if used properly, it could be helpful. I just haven't yeah. seen it in practice myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you submit it and instead of being worried about saying something, now you're worried about whether or not whoever you submitted it to knows it's you and what's going on with it and all that. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. They didn't and are mention they anything, do anything about, about that. It? Yeah, they didn't mention anything about that um, at all. They just said uh, mechanisms that help employees to express prohibitive voice could be helpful, but I think that's a really good um, call out that it could have some unintended negative consequences. Um, The last piece that they recommended was to ensure that you're making up for the depletion that you might experience. So if you are speaking up in a way where you have to point out an error or mistake or Um, you know, tell employees that something that they're doing is not appropriate or that it's not the best way to do it. Um, They mentioned that you should be aware that that's a depleting experience. You're going to experience some negative emotions. You might experience some depletion. So they basically say that if you're going to do that, go outside and take a walk after you do it or do something that Mm. um, involves your full physical and mental presence after work so that you can detach. So let's say, you know, you really love playing tennis. And so tennis is a game where you need to think and you need to move. And so on days where you've done this and you're afraid that you might, you know, not be able to detach, go immediately after work and do one of those activities that really helps you create that separation so that you're not going to be up all night worried about it. That's a really good one. I mean, it kind of gets to like recovery tactics, which I know we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really important because then, you know, you have to bring up something important, but how can you get yourself to really recover and detach at the end of the day and just being very intentional about that. So when you know you have to say something that might be difficult, um, think about what are your ways of recovery at the end of that day and just remembering this conversation, remembering what you're listening to right now uh, can really help you like get the sleep that you need at the end of the day. Yeah. And the really good news, I think, um, and something that I know we really like is that they kind of close out the article by saying, yes, it's important to do recovery strategies at the end of the day, but organizations that want to promote employees speaking up and sharing concerns, and they know that that's important, they should also provide the opportunity for employees to disconnect and they should have clear boundaries around when and how employees get contacted after work and allowing people to really do what they want to do so that the organization's not like, oh, speak up, share your mind, like share what's on your mind. But then knowingly, you know, now if they had their hands on these findings, 
it's like, we'll do that, but they'll, now they know that there might be some negative consequences for people who um, engage in it in particular ways. So they need to make sure that they're giving people the time also structurally to recover or else it could be worse than it would be otherwise. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And realistically, what it comes down to is just creating a, a thriving workplace, right? Like you want to create a work environment where people can speak up and feel safe to do so. They can detach, like all these kind of components lead to a really good work environment. So yep. if you want to create a really safe space, you also have to give people the space to detach and really, you know, have their own life outside of work as well. Totally. Yep. That, that was really what they suggested was, you know, employees can monitor the extent to which they're giving this kind of feedback, but organizations can create an environment that supports it. Employees can find ways to um, recover and disconnect at the end of the day if they've shared um, prohibitive voice, but organizations can also make it easier for them to do that. So they really looked at it from both angles. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing this article. I think it was really interesting and hopefully with some really useful tips. I think it's pretty easy takeaways here. Me too. Uh, Thanks for listening to it. And I hope if anyone has trouble sleeping out there that after you hear this, you think of uh, one potential reason why that might be. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's time for me to go because literally all of my pets are trying to like get in my lap right now. So um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to end us on that note. Thank you all for listening. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. Find us on social media, on our LinkedIns. We're pretty active there. Or our website, workerbeing.com. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.